Thank you, Anthony. Morning, everybody. And thanks to all those who've worked so hard to make this service happen already. Uh, loads of people downstairs, upstairs, behind the scenes, Ollie and so on. And, and of course, you being here as well this morning. Uh, uh, it's great to be together. I used to wind up the uh, technicians sometimes years ago when they used to, I used to come into church and they'd say, uh, who's taking part this morning? And I said, well, everybody. Well, they thought, anyway, never mind. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Two Corinthians chapter eleven, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. <clears throat> On the thirteenth of July, two thousand and fifteen, uh, my daughter came to visit with her boyfriend. My daughter Esther came to visit with her boyfriend Pete, and um, just as they were going to bed on the evening of that Monday night. Pete said to me, would it be all right if I had a short chat with you first thing in the morning? I thought, aye, aye, I know what's going on here. And uh, the next morning, I was woken up by my wife saying, Pete's been downstairs for over an hour pacing the lounge floor, waiting for you to get up. So um, I dutifully got up and went downstairs to put him out of his misery. And uh, lo and behold, he said to me, um, Tim, I would really like to have Esther's hand in marriage. Is that okay? And I said, yes, I'd be absolutely delighted. And then, um, and then from that moment on, things went downhill. Uh, Esther got up. Um, she was in a foul mood. Um, the car they'd come in that they were going to take out to the Peak District uh, was, 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 had broken down, so I had to arrange for them to have our car. And then there wasn't enough food for the picnic, and it was all getting very hot and bothered. And, and eventually, they went out to the Peak District. Anyway, later on that day at 2.46 p.m., 2.46 p.m. on the 15th of July, 2015, they got engaged. That, that is how precise my daughter was when she told me when it was. I said, can you remember when it was? She told me it was 2.46 p.m. on the 15th of July, 2015. But when they got back, of course, the whole atmosphere was completely different. There was uh, joy and laughter and uh, phone calls and, and, and texts and, and uh, we're engaged, we're engaged. And, um, you know, I'm already beginning to see the pound signs wrap up and go around in my mind at this point. But I guess many of us here have had the joy of telling someone else we're engaged. Not everybody, but many of us have had that privilege. And probably all of us, have experienced somebody telling us that they're engaged and how joyful they are and how excited they are and how thrilled they are. It's an amazing moment in someone's life when that actually happens. Now, here's the headline this morning. Here's the one thing you have got to remember about this morning's talk, passage, Bible teaching. You are engaged. What are you? You are engaged. Verse 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, I am jealous for you, the church, with a godly jealousy. I promised you, 
I betrothed you, I espoused you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin. He says to them, you are betrothed, you are espoused, you are engaged to Jesus Christ, to this one single unique person as a husband, as a potential husband, as a bridegroom. Not just individuals at Corinth. We read these sometimes on our own, these verses, and we always apply them to ourselves, but the whole church has been betrothed to Jesus Christ. And Paul is looking forward to that day when, in a sense, he gets to heaven and God says, who gives this church, this woman, to be married to my son, Jesus Christ? And Paul says, I do. I'm the one who betrothed them. I'm the one who saw saw it happen. I do, I give them to your son. And that's why Paul is struggling because, and he's jealous for them with a godly jealousy because he's espoused them, he's betrothed them, he's engaged them to just one husband, one unique husband, and yet they're being torn all over the place and pulled apart and pulled away from Jesus. And he's really concerned about them. Where there is real love and real passion, there is always real godly jealousy. Don't be enticed. But here's the point. We are engaged. Woodlands Evangelical Church is engaged. And every church, true church of Jesus Christ, that loves him and follows him and is committed to him, is part of this bride. All God's people, down through the ages, are part of this bride. Our wedding day is coming. We are exclusively the bride of Jesus Christ. The ultimate marriage is going to happen one day, and we are the bride. And Jesus is the bridegroom. He called himself the bridegroom as early as Mark chapter 2 in the gospel accounts. He identifies himself as the bridegroom, and we are identified as the bride. This is Jesus talking about the reality of who he is. The first miracle that Jesus did was at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. You hear that in the wedding service, don't you? And at that wedding feast, he provided the best wine right at the end of the feast when they'd run out and were facing social embarrassment. Now, have you ever asked yourself, why is it that that is the first miracle that Jesus did? Surely the best one was when he raised Lazarus from the dead, but why just turning water into wine? Well, because he is the ultimate bridegroom who one day, the Bible says, will come back and provide us with a great feast, a great wedding banquet to which we as the bride come to be with him. And that's why John says he revealed his glory at that moment in that provision of wine at that wedding feast. Because he is the bridegroom, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Two chapters later... He meets a woman by a well who's had five husbands. And the one she's living with is now not her husband. And he tells her that if she recognises who he is and takes the offer of life, the drink, drinks the water that he's about to give her, she won't need to thirst ever again. She will have the husband that she's always been looking for. She's She's like a serial monogamist. She's gone from husband to husband to husband. And when she leaves him, she goes away and she says, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. 
Now, if you look at the story, he's not told her everything she's ever done at all. He's just mentioned the fact that she's looking for a husband. But to her, it is such an important thing, the most significant thing in her life, that she says, he told me everything I've ever done. Because she's desperate for this relationship, and he says, it's only I who can give it to you. In the Old Testament, the consistent picture of God is as the bridegroom of his people. We could go through many illustrations, but here's just one. In Genesis 24, Abraham is searching for a bride for his son Isaac, and he sends his servant to a far country to look for this woman. And when he finds Rebekah, he says to her, will you go with this man? Will you go with this man to be the bride of Abraham's son? Now, you all know, some of it, or many of you know through, who've known the Bible for a long time, that the, the seed of Abraham ultimately is Jesus Christ himself. And so again, he comes as the bridegroom in the fulfillment of that. And God says to us, will you go with this man? Will you? The book of Hosea is, whole, is all based on the fact that God is the bridegroom who has been um, seriously betrayed by the, his people, his bride, the, the people of Israel, and so the prophet Hosea has to go and marry someone who will betray him to demonstrate the love that God has for his people as his bride when he calls them back. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. You are engaged. We are engaged as a church to the heavenly lover who wants to ravish us, who wants us to know how treasured we are, how adored we are, how special we are to him. Now, if that's the one thing you get from today, do you see that? We are the bride who is adored by God, by Jesus, the bridegroom. Do you see that? Do you know that? And and can I say, do you feel that? And I'll ask you a bit later, do you come on to enjoy that? But let's dig a bit more now. Let's go over to the passage we were meant to look at this morning. uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And let's just dig a little bit more into this great truth. Verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says, Husbands... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, But they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Why is the church the glorious bride of Jesus Christ. Why is it that the Bible says this? Why is it that we are the ones who are engaged? It's because in the act of human marriage, you actually have an image, a picture of the reality of Christ's love for his bride. 
You have a, a representation of the relationship of Christ and his church. Just look at verse 31. For this reason, this is the quote from Genesis chapter 2. What, what reason is he talking about? Well, if you went back to Genesis 2, we haven't got time to do it this morning, but if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, have I gone off completely? Oh, I'm back on, that's all right. The woman is taken out of the man. So when Adam sees the woman come to him, he's looked at all the animals, none of them correspond to him, but he looks at the woman, he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. For this reason, because she was taken out of the man, they'll become one flesh because they were one flesh originally. Do you see the point? And then Paul says, at the end of that quote from Genesis 2, he says, this is a profound mystery. This business of the two becoming one flesh, the man and the woman, is a profound mystery. But I'm not actually talking about a man and a woman. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Not mysterious, by the way. Mystery in this sense means here's an amazing truth. Here's a fantastic revelation. Here's something deep and wonderful. That the man and woman in the garden foreshadow... The reality. It's not that the marriage is the reality and the other thing is the shadow. I actually had a letter once from a Christian organization that, that said, it was talking about marriage, and it was saying, God needed an illustration. So he thought, what can I talk about to, to illustrate the, the process of marriage, the process of my love for my people? Oh, yeah, oh, I could think about marriage, couldn't I? That's the wrong way around. The marriage was first between Christ and the church in God's mind, and so he designed human marriage to represent that. Marriage is just a picture of the greater truth. And if I could be just a tad fanciful, this might stretch your biblical uh, 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 principles a little bit too far, but just as the man slept and the woman was taken out of his side, so Jesus slept in the depths of the earth. For three days, and out of his wounded side comes the church of Jesus Christ. Do you see the point? The great mystery that the church is the bride of Christ is mirrored in the marriage relationship. So you are engaged as a church to Jesus Christ. And so when you go to a marriage ceremony, you hear people say, marriage is a gift of God in creation. That's how the marriage service often starts. Marriage is a gift of God in creation, and that's true. But there is no marriage in heaven, of course. The marriage that we actually experience as humans on earth is actually very, 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 very short. That's why one of the books on my shelves about marriage is called This Momentary Marriage. Just for a tiny fraction of time, some of us, have the brief privilege of acting out the drama of Christ's relationship with his church. It's part of our image bearing. It's part of our representing God to the world. It's part of our living for Christ in a broken world where sadly, of course, marriage is now so much in decline. Just reading these last couple of days, children are more likely to have a smartphone these days than a father. 
Most teenagers in the building here this morning will aspire to marriage, but probably only about 50% will actually marry in their lifetime. And the number of marriages is declining all the time in our country. The foundation of our stable society, uh, founded on marriage, on family life, is being broken down over and over and over again. We're probably one of the worst countries in Western Europe for this whole business of marriage breakdown. But we are engaged. And if you are married, you're called to live out the drama for this brief momentary time of Christ and his church. But we are engaged. And so we're going to think just for a few minutes about what the bridegroom has done for us, what Jesus has done for us as his bride, and what he is doing for us today, and what he will do for us one day. And we'll go quite quickly, but if you look at verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. I'm not talking to husbands this morning specifically, but that verse is aimed at husbands. So just notice it, guys. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. But the whole point is that what he's saying is that Christ has set his love upon us. Uh, It was great, wasn't it, that Will talked to us about uh, God's love for us. But so often we think of that as individually as well. But this is not the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. This is Christ loved the church. This is his discerning love, his choosing love, his predestining love. Before the foundation of the world, he says, I want a bride for my son. I want a bride for Jesus. The Father says, so Jesus sets his love upon us. Absolutely fantastic. Why did he do it? Well, as Will said, because he's God, because he wanted to. It was sheer grace. Did Jesus need a bride? Did he need a bride? No. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, but simply for his own pleasure and glory and delight and satisfaction, he's chosen to set his love upon us, his church, the bride of Christ. As a church, we are the object of this ravishing, treasuring, delighting, adoring love of Christ himself. King, Messiah, who made all things, loves us. I remember many years ago now, but one of my staff, when I was working for a Christian organization, had just got engaged, and um, he came to see me after this had happened, and um, in my presence, he broke down, and I said, what on earth is the matter? He said, I can't believe that somebody could love me so much. Do you get it? I can't believe that somebody could love me so much. Christ loved the church. He loves this church. That's why at the beginning of Revelation, John says, unto him who loves us. But secondly, verse 25, he sacrificed himself for us. He gave himself up for her. He gave his his life up for her. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Loving is one thing, isn't it? But stepping into this broken world to be executed for his church, to carry the can for all our mistakes and wrongdoings and affronts to him and the way we've turned our back on him and the way we've lived without him and he does that he comes to be executed for the bride 
No, I can't plumb the depths of that. I don't know if you can as we sit here this morning, but it's been the pattern of men and women's relationships throughout history based on this one thing, that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I don't know if you know in the statistics of the sinking of the Titanic, for every one woman who died, nine men died. They were following this principle that the husband lays down his life for his wife. They put the women and the children in the lifeboats and the men stayed on the boat. And for every one woman who died, nine men died. Christ, for all of us, gave up his life. I read this um, paragraph last night from a, an old book about Christ's love for the church. And I thought, shall I read it tomorrow morning? I thought, well, I'll have a go. It's, it's a little bit ancient. It's a little bit um, fancy, the language, because it's ancient. But if you just pin your ears back and listen very carefully, you might just get a feeling for what this love is like and this death is like. For Christ's love to his elect passes knowledge. Its depths are beyond the plumb lines of created intelligences. Its flame self-fed, self-kindled, aglow with an incandescence that many waters could not quench. A purpose to redeem which nothing could divert from its resolve, nor any obstacle, however tremendous, deter from achieving it once for all. The king of terrors, armed with his fellest sting, had no power to withhold this unblenching lover from standing proxy for the bride of his choice. What an amazing spectacle this is. Of life essential, plunging into a dread abyss of dereliction, that his bride might partake with him of everlasting bliss and joy. Is he not the mirror of chivalry, no less than of devotion? No human suitor has ever loved or ever will on such a scale as that. Sublime love and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for us, his church. And then in verse 26, he cleansed her, he made us clean. That's what happens when we come to Christ. It's called the washing of rebirth. We were filthy, we were unclean, we were dirty, we were unfit to be married to him. It's not like the wedding day, you know, when, um, when the, 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 the bride goes into the bathroom and you wonder how long she's going to be in there and has she left enough time to do her ablutions on her wedding day, you know. I mean, we actually had to install a new shower to get the bride and the, the bridesmaids through the shower process first thing in the morning on her wedding day. Um, but as we respond to the gospel message, he cleans us. We don't get clean, he cleans us. Jesus said, now you are clean through the word I spoke to you. This is Jesus making us clean, ready for the wedding day. And then again in verse 20, 26, it says that it, his purpose was to make her holy, to make us like himself. You, you, you realize that, don't you? That the whole purpose of Christ's work in us is to make us like himself. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That is what God is wanting to do in each one of us this morning, in each one of you this morning, is to take us from where we were and fashion us to be like Christ. 
predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In time, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we're changed from one degree of glory to another until the day when he comes and we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. Past, present, and future, he's making us like Jesus. Everything that happens in your life, the bridegroom is purposing because all things work together for good to those who love God, who believe. You see, he receives us just as we are. But he doesn't leave us as we are. He cleanses us to make us holy. And then in the process of time, while we're in the church, while the church is on this earth, he's feeding us, verse 29. No one ever hates their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. What's Christ doing this morning? Feeding and caring. What's he doing? Feeding and caring. Feeding and caring. Feeding and caring. Nourishing, nurturing, feeding all the time. Providing shepherds who will hopefully open the word of God. Strengthening by the Holy Spirit, feeding through the word. We've just had a, a ravenous grandson with us for a, a few days and the constant need to feed this little four-month-old before he screams again is just wearing but it's what Christ is doing for his church all the time, feeding. Just like the manna, you know, the special bread came in the wilderness and God said, I'm going to feed you every day, every day, every day, every day. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never go hungry. And if you believe in me, you'll never be thirsty. So he's feeding and he's caring, verse 29 as well. It's the word that's used of the care of a mother has for uh, 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 the baby feeding at its breast. He's holding us tightly. He's He's, he's gripping us to himself. He's never letting us go. He's keeping us safe. Do you, do you see this all-encompassing love of Christ for us, his church? Loves us, gave himself for us, cleansing us, making us holy, feeding us, caring us. And it's all leading up to the wedding day, verse 27. He wants to present her to himself as a glorious church without stain or wrinkle, any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There's a day coming. I hope you're ready for it. There's a day coming when he's going to present us to himself. We're going to, it's going to be that moment that you get in a wedding service. Some of you will have been the, the, the bridegroom in your own wedding, where you turn and look at the bride and you see her walking towards you. And she's, he's been waiting all this time and she's coming. He's going to present her to himself. Radiant, glorious, gorgeous clothes, the clothes that he's given us. We can't go into that now, but Ollie mentioned it at the beginning. Apparently, when, when William and Kate got married, Kate came up the aisle and uh, stood next to William, and the people who can lip read, lip, lip read what William said to her. And he said to her, you look lovely. Isn't that lovely? That's a bit soppy, I suppose, but you know, you look lovely. On that day, he will say to us, I've made you lovely. You look fantastic. And we will be without stain or wrinkle. I'm just looking at the church at the moment. There's a few stains and wrinkles around the building this morning, aren't there? Not least in my own life. But let's fast forward then to Revelation chapter 19, that last day. And with this, we must finish. 
Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And, and for those of you who, particularly young people, who, who wonder whether the Bible is true or how it all fits together, just, just get hold of this. The Bible begins with a marriage in a garden. Yeah? And it's the pattern that goes wrong. And so the whole of the Bible is about the story of how you get to the book of Revelation where there's a marriage. The real marriage. The second Adam. Verse 6, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters and like sounds, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed, blessed are those, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And then just into chapter 21. Then I saw, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the bride is now a city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is God's voice now, you got this? We're finishing here, just prick your ears up. Look. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When you marry in this world, after the wedding day, you go to a new home. You start living together. The dwelling of God is now with men and women. And when you marry, you enter into a new intimacy. I will be their God and they will be my people. Do you see what's going on here? This is the celebration of all that we long for, the celebration of all that we hope for. The bride is home once and for all with the bridegroom. So let me finish with just three quick points of, or three questions. If the church is the bride of Jesus Christ, are you part of the bride? Are you part of the bride? I mean, really part of the bride. There's another woman in the book of Revelation She's called a prostitute. She's called the mother of harlots. Who do you really belong to at the moment? Whose fortune, whose favor are you seeking? All the things of Jesus Christ or this prostitute. Will you go with this man? Behold, I stand at the door and knock, as was read to us. Are you part of the bride? But secondly, if we are the bride... Are you enjoying your relationship with the bridegroom? Are you 
delighting in Jesus. You know, I remember when I was, uh, I was engaged and uh, those times when we had to, we didn't have mobile phones then, we had to pay phones, you know, for goodness sake, and, and pips and all that, all, you know, and other people crossing your line and interrupting your talking and so on, but we used to hang on each other's words, yeah. Are you delighting in the bridegroom of your heart? He is that glorious. Christianity, as I keep saying, is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you enjoying that relationship? Because John says our fellowship, our friendship is with Jesus. And I'm writing these things so that your joy might be full. Are you part of the bride? Are you enjoying the relationship? And here's my third one. Are you preparing for the big day? Are you preparing for the big day? Those of you who have got married at some point in your life will remember what the preparation was like. Sometimes it was all-consuming. We got married in August, and um, the Christmas before we got married, my wife gave me a calendar with 32 tear-off sheets because it was 32 weeks until the wedding day. And part of my preparation was every day, just every week, just tearing off the next one and the next one and the next one and thinking about what needed to be done so I'd be ready for that big day. This is the sideshow. That's the reality. We're going to see him face to face. And John says, the one who has this hope in Jesus purifies himself, cleanses his life, sorts his life out, even as he is pure. You're engaged to one husband. What difference is that going to make in our lives? going forward from here, as we think about our life in the church together and how we work together to be that bride that he loves so much. Let's pray together. Father, it's, it's so hard for us to imagine the great love that you have for us. But it's there. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That we should be called children of God. We should be the bride of Christ. Jesus, we want to say this morning, you're, you're, our, you're our bridegroom. We love you. We worship you. We, we, we thank you for the smile of your face upon your bride this morning. And as a church, we want to enjoy it more than we've ever done before. Yes, we have to look after rotors and help each other and build each other up and all that. But we want to enjoy that because we are your bride. So help us to live for your delight and for your praise and glory. Amen. Amen. And we're going to sing a, a lovely song, an old song that's been had some verses added to it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And it's exhorting us to keep turning to him, keep looking to him and preparing for that day. Let's do it in our hearts now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.